anyway, yeah, well, this, we've d- diverted immediately. Let's talk about last night in Soho. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Omcast. My name is Dom, it's one half of the Omcast. I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. All right. All right. In this episode, we're talking about the latest movie from director Edgar Wright, Last Night in Soho, starring Thomas and Mackenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy and Matt Smith. Yes. Yes. So. Finally here. Finally here. It's been <laughs> delayed for a while. I remember first hearing the title and thinking, oh, what's that, what's that all about? Um, because I think we talk about this quite a lot on this podcast is that the idea of sort of directors who are stars in their own right. Um, yeah. And I know for us, Edgar Wright is definitely one of those. Um, we're like, wherever he does, we're there, basically. Um, yes. For those who don't know, he's the guy who directed the, what's called the Cornetto trilogy, so the Simon Pegg and Nick Frost <laughs> movies, uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and the much forgotten about and maligned uh, The World's End. World's End. Um, but then he's also started directing some American movies. He's done Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which is a Amazing. classic. God damn it. Um, and then he did Baby Driver a few years ago, which was by the best film of that year. Um, and it's been a while since he's made a movie. He's been had this has been in the works for a while and obviously got delayed. Um, sadly, yeah, sadly. It, um, but it's, but it's here, but it's finally got it, and we got it. Um, so we went to go see it. it yeah, it's um, interesting to, before we get into what the film is and what it's all about. Um, just initial thoughts. What did you think of last night in Soho? Because we haven't really talked about it since we saw it. Uh, I liked it. Mm. I didn't love it. Oh, really? Yeah, I I wanted to like it a lot more. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a bit cumbersome in a few places, and I think it lacks uh, his... N- so so Edgar Wright's got like this very specific style, right? And I just think it lacked some of that. I think it lent far too heavily into some things than others, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's by far his most sort of, I, I, for lack of a better term, grown-up movie. Yeah. But because it of that, yeah. It very pastiche. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I, it's, it feels like a throwback to me. It feels like a, like a Hitchcockian sort of, um, yeah, like or like something like Vertigo, something like because the idea is basically it's like a psychological horror, basically is what this is, um, yeah. and it's yeah very much his most serious movie, um, and because of that, some of that like the frenetic editing style and like the way he cuts things to music and all that kind of stuff isn't there, so I can understand why that would be disappointing. Um, I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. Yeah, no, I thought it was really, brilliant. I really did. I think yeah, it was like. Because I went through, I watched all of his movies leading up to it in the week. Um, yeah. And it does feel like, yeah, it's like a natural progression for him. And I just, I felt like it's the first, along with like The World's End, I feel like it's like, it's say it's about something. It's got some real like meat to it. Um, I think the performances are all brilliant. Um, I, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. I Don't get me wrong. The performances were great. And like, there was so much about it that was brilliant. Yeah. But. I don't know. I felt, and this is the really sort of difficult part that we might have to talk about in the spoiler section. Sure. So it's some things that happen towards the tail end. So the 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 whole real sort of 
premise of the film is this young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed girl raised by a grandmother from Cornwall is moving to the big lights, the big city of London mm. to study in fashion school. Um, we learn fairly early on and quite quickly smoothed over that she uh has this shine kind of like yeah she um so yeah she we we know that there's there's a mixture of like grounding it in reality and there's an element of like psychic um attuneness to it if you like so it's like yeah she's her mother has passed away and she her mother committed suicide that we know she suffered from mental health issues and that's very much defined and scientific and real but then on top of that there's then this idea that she sees her mum in the mirror and has this like this you know she sees things and it's like she's she's somehow sort of linked psychically to things and whether that is a symptom of her own mental health disorders yeah is something that is always up for question like we get that in the opening scenes of the film like the, the grandmother is very concerned like if it all gets too much for you like it did before so you get this idea that she is someone who suffers with mental health issues with something she may have inherited from her mother um, and yeah. her grand is very concerned about her. This, you know, she's lived a fairly sheltered life and now she's going to London to university um, and how she's going to deal with that. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I thought that bit, that's the main story. That's what it is. It's all a metaphor, isn't it? It's all about the idea of, of you know, stepping out into the world for the first time, as, having lived your, a fairly sheltered life. Um, and someone who doesn't know, you know, is that has, has that university culture shock when you go into a big city and you meet all these people and they all seem a lot more grown up than you, and and it's just like and you don't know how to interact with the, your flatmates and go out on a night out and all, you know it's all just too much. Um, and for someone who suffers with mental health issues, that's like exacerbated even more. Um, I just feel like it captured that so well. It's it's very like. It did it in a very uniquely British way as well. It wasn't like an American going to college movie. It was very, very British. Um, yeah. And then that's the thing. So much, I know it's going to sound like a really wanky cliche, but so much of like the way that they deal with like the city itself is its own sort of character. It's got its own like really grimy side to it. And yeah, there's like really familiar parts. And obviously it's all shot in soho on location mm. um but at the same time yeah it, there's so much of it that's this really sort of um i don't know like one one thing that i will say actually is that the way that they lent into it early on and said about the oh you know you're seeing your you know oh i haven't seen mum in ages sort of thing yeah you know that her mum's killed herself and then they talk about the the way that it's all phrased and packaged up in that time you think oh she's had like a psychotic break as well and it's a seeing is seeing her mum yeah that's kind of where i went with it and that's part of why i was a bit like um like early on i was a bit like okay this is all sort of come on very quickly like this you know the visions that we see in the trailer and all the things happening there yeah and it kind of caught me off guard a little bit and i was like oh, i don't really know what they're doing here is this is this all in her head is this is it not is it how are we dealing with this and and i think that's 
I needed like a little bit of catching up almost. Yeah. But it's it's quite frenetic in the way that it, it moves. Yeah, and that's very Edgar Wright. That is something that yeah. like yeah, the way he edits things, the way like the movie opens with the character Eloise is played by Thomas and McKenzie. Um and she's amazing like, performance, by the way. Like obviously unreal. And I was so happy as well because like I remember sort of rolling my eyes because you know I've got a bit of a issue with the overexposure of Anya Anya Taylor the Joy. Um, that's happening at the moment she's fucking everywhere and when i saw her in there i was like but it really does feel like it's thomas and mckenzie's movie this um and she is very much the lead even though she's like of the main cast members like matt smith and um anya taylor joy she's by far the least well known even though she's very much a rising star people will recognize her probably from jojo rabbit um amongst other things she was also in old old old, the beach that makes you old um the beach that ages you yeah, so she's very much on the rise, but her performance in this is fucking brilliant and it grounds the whole thing. Um, and I just love, yeah, so you just, it, the, the basic story is that, you know, she moves to London, she tries to find her own way. She ends up sort of going and finding her, this bedsit that she wants to stay in and it's like haunted by all these memories of 60s London. But it's also, she brings her own baggage to that because she's got this like obsession with the 60s, which they established from the opening scene where you see her dancing around, listening to, Hernan's uh, old records and yeah. it's kind of like I like this idea where it's like it's a metaphor for you know the the dangers of nostalgia basically yeah. and you get like so you have this first time when she has this vision where she goes to sleep and wakes up and she's then in the 60s and she's basically taken over the body of this Anya Taylor-Joy character and goes to this very glamorous um, you know 60s nightclub um, and it's all like amazing and everyone's dressed amazingly and she, you know, dances and she's all like confident and cool. And Matt Smith, you know, comes in and saves her. And it's all, all this, like, it's all the glitz and glamour and the, and the sheen of the sixties in that first one. And then the next one, it gets a little bit darker and you start to peel back the layers a little bit and you start seeing all the, the shit that did really go on back then and what showbiz was like and how that, how people climbed the ladder yeah. and, and then it peels back another one and it gets darker and darker as it's like, and again, it's that sort of just layering in of living in the past and like the the rose tinted glasses of what we think the swinging sixties was like is not really what it is when you start to bet like and, and it's the dangers yeah. of being upset like yeah nostalgia which is obviously like a massive thing these days like almost everything is predicated on nostalgia. I mean, the next movie we're about to going to talk about is Ghostbusters. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. like. Um, but it's it's what your idea of what it was, and then you go back and watch Ghostbusters two and realize it's actually not that good. Um, no, it's not, um, and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? It's the is um, that's what the whole thing's a metaphor for. Um, and it's interesting, like yeah, the horrors of her past, like the idea of reliving everything through her mum and thinking about her mum all the time, and how unhealthy that could be. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was brilliant. I think it, and that's the thing, it is really clever and it does carry a lot of those messages throughout. And it's about, you know, <clears throat> because so much of it is sort of metaphor and yeah. sort of the metaphor within itself that she's gone off to university and she's gone to London. She's always seen it as this like big, exciting thing, which is the same thing that's happening, which is mirrored in the, the the time travel so to speak to the 60s and it's this very exciting very dramatic sort of wish fulfillment thing that it's like be careful what you wish for yeah which is great and that is brilliant but it's it just gets to the third act and it just goes yeah 
I don't yeah. know. That's where I struggled with it. Was okay. where it, where it got to like the because like as it was going through, like everything caught, sort of kept me guessing, and there were points where I was like, you know, I think I know what's going to happen here, and then something completely turned on its head. Yeah, and then the other thing where I was like, I think something's going to happen here, and it was nailed. Like absolutely nailed it. Like yeah. that, I was like, right, I was bang on with that. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was really tough because there were, I think I went in with huge expectations. Yeah. I went in with huge expectations about Edgar Wright and about what he was going to do. And he's done a very, very different film to what he would normally do. Yeah. He's not gone in with the, the sort of the, the percussive music works in a couple of places. And you see that and you start going, right, I really enjoy this. And there's these sort of tactful touches to sort of like this, the, the 60s, london horror so uh, um oh, i can't think of any now off the top of my head but like the, the the films that you would get at the time i'm trying to just yeah anyway they've gone out of my head but there's this sort of era of films uh amazing and it's felt very much pastiche to that but then i don't know it's it's a ghost story for me mm. which i love i'm very well known for my love of horror shall we say mm. but um yeah it's just it's 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 so good like the dressing is amazing the fact that you know they got london they filmed on location so there's so much of it that's brilliant but it's just slightly let me down in the third act as all. Well. okay we'll have to obviously get into that in the spoilers then yeah. um because i feel like that's that's where the main issues are um but like i say like yeah i know what you mean it, it feels like a throwback but then what i like about it in terms of the all the stuff that happens in the modern day, if you like, feels very of the moment and now. And like, and he's all, he's gone on record sort of recently saying that like, it's weird because the movie that he made is like, they're both period pieces now, both elements of it, because it's, it's um, Soho in the sixties and it's Soho in 2019. Yeah. Which is not the same as Soho in 2021 <laughs> no. because of the you know, pre pandemic Soho when everyone was like, what that looks like on a night out. But you see that like that contemporary university experience um, is like put up there for for you know British students going to uni for the first time and what that's like. Um, even you know to the point you know turning up late for a lecture and embarrassing yourself, all that kind of stuff. And that's that's what grounds it to me is is that stuff um, is done so well that when it gets into the fantasy sort of elements of it or the um, you know the the time travel stuff, it's it's okay because of what happened and then even when you get into the time travel stuff like you say they very quickly establish that all is not this beautiful fairy tale fantasy of what the 60s is like it's dark there's some dark shit going on um yeah so, well you know you want to be a star don't you um it's that yeah um and it's yeah and it's like you know much as we like we all glamorize even to this day we glamorize the 60s and it's oh, what, how cool it must have been to be in the 60s and then she goes and sees what it was really like so like, oh shit yeah and it's that crushing realization um and how she reconciles that um and i think yeah the the, the overarching sort of narrative of the whole thing is the idea is like when you go to universe and then you've got these again these great um parallels where it's like right she then sort of becomes obsessed with the girl in the dream and she does things like she changes her hair so she's now blonde and looks like it and it's like it's a really good like metaphor for that whole thing of like going to uni and trying to reinvent yourself 
because you you turn up, no one knows you. You're not you're away from you. You've grown up in a small town, and you can just be whoever you want to be, and no one knows you. So you try and sort of go, I'm going to be the guy who wears a hat all the time. Or <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, is, that, is that is that who you were? No, no, Did I wasn't. Wear, was, no, would you wear a beanie? No, but like the guy from Skins. No, I didn't. Although there is there is one photo of me at uni where I do look exactly like Sid from Skins. Oh, um, <laughs> that was that was your shtick, wasn't it? No, there was no that no, it wasn't at all. But my point is, is that it's there is like they've they've taken this uh, like getting obsessed with a particular period or whatever, but and that's her reasoning for doing it. And she's like she yeah. does things like she goes and tries to buy a very expensive like um vintage like uh, coat and all this kind of thing because she's trying to reinvent herself a bit like because she's obsessed with this time period because she feels like she can do that because she's away from home now um yeah. i feel like but then they... it's like the crushing realization that she's actually you know she realizes that she's in this i don't know like that that bit i really like because she's <laughs> she's in this uh this vintage shop and the woman's like oh that's 350 pounds or whatever yeah. it is and she's like what yeah and she's it's like, the, yeah. yeah, other people like this too. Like, you're not, you know, like kids. Exactly. You're, you're, you're not, not that unique. special. Yeah, exactly. And that's, again, that's a realisation where you, you feel like you're, and you meet people who are into all the same stuff that you're into and you go, oh, shit. And you go, oh, okay, <laughs> you don't feel special anymore. But then if you embrace that, then that's where you find some of the, some of your best friends and some of the, you and it's like, I feel like that's what I like about how it all concludes and we'll get into it once we get into the spoiler section. But it's like, it comes to that conclusion that, you can't completely reinvent yourself at, at the age of 18, but you can grow. Like there, there's a happy medium between embracing your past and what make the, the th- people and places that make you who you are and stepping into a new phase of your life. And you can balance yeah. both of those things. And that's kind of. You don't of, have to change to determine who you are. Yeah. And that's the conclude, like the, the, gro- the growth. And that's what it is like. A, it's a coming of age story told through this medium of do you know what I mean of discovery and that it comes with you have your own prejudices and ideas of what you think the world is and you start uh, you know attaching them and like she makes assumptions about what she thinks the story is in terms of you know the, the, the it becomes like a weird murder mystery type thing over a 40 year period and she makes assumptions about what she thinks going on and then turns out no that's not what's going on at all you don't understand little girl and again yeah how do, how do you reconcile that yeah but they get there um yeah, I, I like it. I, I really liked it. I do. I do. I, like I said, I don't. I don't think it's a bad film. Mm. It's just like it's. It just. I don't know. Like it just. There's one particular thing which, again, we'll talk about in the spoilers. But there's one bit where I was like, "Ooh, I don't know if you like. I don't like doing this." And they kind of clawed it back a little bit. Um, I feel like I can imagine it being an issue for you. Um, but we, yeah, we'll talk about it when we get into spoilers. I don't know how much more we want to say before spoilers. How long have we been? We've been going. Not long. No. <laughs> But at the um, same time, like, yeah, I mean, just in terms of all I don't other think stuff. a lot of people, are, yeah, I'm, I'm going to speak to speak for a lot of our readers here. Is that, uh, um, I don't think a lot of our readers are going to have are going to be listening to this podcast having not seen it, having not seen it. That's true. But having yeah. said that, I do think that it is worth, um, you know, if you haven't. I would absolutely say go and see this film. Yeah, it's something that like, so we, so this weekend's been an interesting one for us, movies wise, because we saw this and we've also seen the new Marvel movie, Eternals, which we'll talk about on the next episode. Um, but something interesting sort of happened on that. So I, we, my brother uh, came with us to that 
Um, and he's very much a casual or non-Marvel fan. He's seen a handful of them. And during yeah. the trailers, he says something to me, he says, is that like all the trailers kept coming on and they were like, there's Morbius and there's like Spider-Man and they're all, all um, the Matrix and it's all just sequels and prequels or whatever. And he said sequels, to me, prequels, remakes, remakes reboots. reboots, which is what we're predicated on because is there any original IP that they're going to show? And it's like, that's a really good point. And for that reason alone, please go and see Last Night in Soho. Yeah. Because this is like one of the most original and it's not quite like anything else you'll see this year. And for that reason, please, it, films like this need to be supported because otherwise they will stop making them and all we'll get yeah. is Marvel movies. And much as we both like the Marvel movies, there needs to be proper, like, creative films made like this. Um, yeah. And it's like Universal as a studio. It seems to be the only studio still making them. Um, you know, they make things like this. They make things like The Invisible Man. That you know that sort of that horror um, creativity, where that you know um, creator-driven, director-driven movies um, are still coming out, but from that studio, and they yeah, please support them um, because otherwise they they won't happen anymore, and they'll be relegated to you know streaming services. Well, it'll just be yeah, it'll be all like all the Hulu. Yeah, it'll be that. Um, and I'm, I for one, I'm really glad I got to see this in cinema because it is a cinematic experience. It's and you know. The thing with Edgar Wright is he's like a cinephile. He's very much like similar to Tarantino. Like he knows his cinema stuff so well. Yeah. And you can tell like he the techniques and stuff he uses in this in terms of like the how he choreographs the dance sequences and like some of the the mirror sequences are brilliant. Yeah. Um, in terms of like you have these sequences where it's Anya Taylor Joy on one side of the mirror and Thomason on the other, and they're sort of, they're mirroring each other. Um, like that that first scene in the um, apparently I've read about this the um. The first scene where she goes into the club and there's a mirror on the other side. Obviously, yeah. there isn't a mirror, so it's Thomason just being mirrored, like uh, like in live action in real time by right. Anya. Um, but you have got the two concierge blokes, oh, okay, who take in the coat, and they're both they're twins who are just mirroring each other. Oh, amazing! And it is the twins from Harry Potter, the guys who played uh, the Weasley twins. Really. Yeah, and like apparently he's, um, Edgar Wright was saying that like neither Thomas nor Anya realised that until he pointed it out to them and said those two are both massive Harry Potter fans because they're both that of that era, they're both that age, yeah. and then they freaked the fuck out when it became all about asking these two about <laughs> everything they could about Harry Potter. And like we just didn't get like it probably <laughs> added an extra 30, te- yeah, t- 10 takes because they were just distracted by staring at these, oh my God, this friend George Weasley. <laughs> Which is great. That's I like that. Brilliant. That's great. Um, and yeah, and again, in terms of performances, you got yeah, Matt Smith is brilliant in this. Um, yeah, Matt Smith's got uh, spoilers. Spoilers Actually. slightly. Yeah, he's um, yeah, but he he plays he he, twi- he twists. Let's put it that way. He, he gets to play a couple of different notes in this yeah. and does it very very well. Uh, and I'm glad to see him get more because I've always rated him. I've always thought he was great. It's good that he's now starting to sort of come back into the spotlight and get some good stuff. Obviously, he's got this. Um, he's, he's going to be in Morbius, apparently. Um, but he's he? also, yeah, he's in the, like, you see him for, like, one shot in the trailer. Uh, it's just oh, like, yeah. I don't know who he's playing, but they seem to be playing their cards close to the chest. I don't know what's going on. Um, he's but also, all, like, the lead in the new Game of Thrones show. Yeah, he? that's it, yeah. So he's a Targaryen, and they've got him all made up, like, in the Targaryen sort of blonde wig and everything. I was like, yeah, that's cool. I'm so down for that. Um, 
but he's brilliant in this. But then you've also got the older actors. So you've got Terrence Stamp and um, the late, great Dame uh, Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg. Yes. Diana Rigg, this is her, her last her performance. Final performance. Yeah, her final performance. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and Edgar Rice told the story about, you know, that it was the last thing she recorded. They had to record her saying one final word and he had a conversation with her. And she's like, oh, I wish you all the best of luck with it because he was like both aware of the fact that she might not get a chance to see it. Um, and it, yeah, really sweet story. But she was, yeah, she's amazing. And I'm glad that she, it wasn't just, there was more to her than just being an old lady. Um, she actually got yeah. to give, give a great performance as her final send-off. And that's brilliant. I'm really glad that they got that in um, and made that happen. No, I agree. It's For somebody with such a sort of, uh, you know, prolific background, especially for someone who British cinema owes to so much to as well yeah. in anything and everything yeah. that she's ever done. You know, I'm glad that she got to be in something of this caliber. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's a very, it's a British, it's not like she was like given a bit part in an American production off the bat. Cause obviously one of the things that more people were re- uh, recognized for these days is Game of Thrones. Speaking of Game of Thrones, yeah. Um, and it's not like she just got given some sort of thankless role in a big American blockbuster because she was in Game of Thrones. It's no, she came back to Britain. She was in London, um, and it was, and she played this. And the idea that, like, not to spoil too much, but then it finds out, you know, she was something back in the sixties, which is a great like callback because you know back in the sixties she was Mrs. James Bond. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. she was absolutely stunning. So the idea that now yeah, she was we, also um, in and, the Avengers, uh, wasn't she? And the Avengers, yeah, of course. Um, Emma Peel. That's the one. That's it. The Emma Peel. Um, so yeah, the idea that she like it's that that meta level of, you know, a a 60s starlet, and then what they're that like, you know, uh what 50 years later, 60 years later. Yeah. Um, that like it adds to the story, which again, we we're we're dancing around it, but we'll get into spoilers and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um Terrence Stamp is brilliant. Yeah, he's fucking great in this. He's great. Right? Um, and all the, the young cast as well. There's a couple of the uni friends who are brilliant. Although what I will say, and one thing that really did bug me, and it's a, it's a bit of a trope that I'm starting to get a bit sick of, is uh, there's a girl when she goes to uni who's like basically a bully, basically yeah. like the school bully, and she's just an absolute stone cold bitch. And it's just like, it, start, it bugs me because they're like bitchy kids, like whether it's a female or male, whoever it is, the 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 bully character in TV and movies is so over the top. Yeah. <laughs> They're that's... so like just pure evil. And it's just like, and like it's no, just like you're no just one's that such bad. Such a cunt that it's no one, un... no one's that bad. Like I've met some cunts in my time, but like no one's actually that bad. Cause I think what it is is that, you know, filmmakers and not to generalize, but filmmakers tend to be like the guys who are picked on. Do you know what I mean? So they, yeah. when they get an opportunity to write and direct a movie, they like make out that they they're projecting all their like their the worst things of how they felt about their bully or the guy who tormented them at school and project yeah. it onto this this character. And they're so over the top. They're like literally like fucking Hitler. And it's like they weren't that yeah. bad. They can't have been like. And it, it it's so often that these people are sort of like they because you know some people are you know clearly traumatized by like the effects that they had even now from school yeah uh, but but in this case it's just she's a cartoon 
yeah, it's she's too much. They 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 she's, take it too and it, far. You just like it's, it. It's not. I don't believe it. No, I don't. It, it takes believe... you out of. That's the one. Like I can buy all the going back in time, all that shit is fine. But it's her was the thing that took me out of it because she was just yeah. too like pure evil. It just didn't make any. It was just like no, it's not realistic. It's just too much. And not yeah. only that, just the idea that like all her friends around her are just cronies who just laugh. And, and that's, that's it. And they have their own characters. Like, yeah. Being sympathetic at one point, and then all of a sudden they're just fucking morons. Yeah, and they're all just like needlessly fucking cruel to this girl for no reason. Um, but again, it's like I don't know if it's maybe they're trying to make some point about that's how she sees it in her own head. Um, yeah, but there might be an element of that, like she, you know, feeling like everyone's laughing at you, which is very much someone who suffers with anxiety and social anxiety, which she very much does. Is some that makes sense. So the, there's an argument to be said that maybe that's part of it. Um, but at the same time, maybe they, they should have made that clearer if that was the case. They mm. should have sort of shown that, you know, in your head she's like this, but in her actual life, she's not actually that bad. Like, and can, we can see how yeah. you know things can be misconstrued or you you're projecting all your own insecurities onto this person and like she's everything you want to be and how wrapped up you can get in that. And uh, yeah. And that's what I mean is that there was there was a couple of points like her is specifically as you said yeah like just fucking cartoon character and then yeah. you're like well how am I supposed to take so much of this other stuff seriously if we've got this like American high school bully that's like oh my god yeah can you believe her and it's just she's just everything about her screams fake yeah it's like it's a they are all the girls are British but it's like they all feel like characters from Mean Girls. And Mean Girls yeah. is a parody. That's the point. It's like a piss yeah. take written by Tina Fey. Like, you know what I mean? There's a reason why yeah. Mean Girls isn't meant to be taken seriously. Whereas this is like, you've just taken characters from that genre, from a different film and dropped them into this, which is a very serious, well, not very serious, but it's a serious psychodrama. Do you know what I yeah. mean? So it, it doesn't fit and it sort of sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, so yeah, that I completely cop to that. Like, it's, by no means do I think this film is perfect. I just really like it. No, no, and that's the thing. Like, I don't hate this film. I really, really like this film. I just mm. there are parts of it that I was just like, okay, like uh, yeah, there are a few things that sort of start to sort of shimmy and shake a bit in the wrong way, and then yeah, I I don't know. It's I it might be because I've seen. Uh, so like Ghost Stories for example is a film that slightly has a bit of a thing in the third act that I was like oh okay that's not to say that I, that is one of my favourite films of the last few years but at the same time like there are still things within that that pull you in and go oh okay well that's a bit disappointing or you know I kind of expected this but yeah I don't know like yeah. overall, this film is very, very good. Mm. I think the leads and Thomas and Mackenzie and your Taylor Joy, Matt Smith are amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think Dame Diana Rigg is brilliant. She's not obviously she's not in it that much. She's very much a supporting character. But um, and then I do think that kind of everybody else around it kind of falls to the wayside uh, a little bit i think i think the um the i can't remember the name of him now but the the character the sort of the guy character the guy she meets at uni the love interest yeah the love interest for but yeah but he's he's good he's quite charming and quite sort of yeah he's, he's good fun. but then there are a few parts <clears> now and again <throat> where it just feels like he's 
he's just reading off a sheet. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I didn't. Maybe I just didn't pick up on that. Um, yeah. But I mean, just, yeah. again, like like I said, like I don't want anything to sound like uh, I don't want this to sound like like harsh criticism. It's just being honest. Like there yeah. were a few parts of it that. Uh, you know, may well be my own expectations that have sort of led me to be a bit disappointed by it. But it's it's uh, I expected a bit more, yeah, for somebody that's like a student of horror. Yeah, um, I will say, for, in terms of the horror elements of it, I do feel those those were pretty effective. I mean, you're you're much more of a horror aficionado than I am. So yeah. when it comes to those those horror elements, and we do get some like some pretty horrific scenes and sort of you know whether it's be sort of a slasher type thing or some you know visions in her head of seeing yeah. ghosts and you know hands coming out of the floor and all that kind of stuff like that i think was done really well to be fair and again you can tell he was done he was a a student of people like sam raimi and that kind of thing um, yeah so i think he, he does that well especially as someone that sort of you know he cut his teeth doing Shaun of the dead exactly yeah and, that, and the reason why Shaun of the dead and, and hot fuzz and all those movies work is because he understands the language of cinema so well and he applies all that to great effect in this movie i think he goes right well now if i was to do it i've done plenty of parodies of it and taken the piss out of you know how movies work and the and the sort of um the way that they're structured and the shot selection, all that. Now, if I was to do it for real, what would it look like? And it's this. And it's like, okay, cool. It's the same thing that he did with like, you know, Baby Drivers. Like he's done, like he's taken the piss out of American, you know, action cinema in Hot Fuzz. And then he delivers an actual action scene in an actual action cinema. And it's wicked because it's Baby Driver. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's, it feels like this is like. And he good. understands it in such a way. Yeah. That if, it was, and I don't think it's anything to do with the direction or anything along those lines. Is is where it sort of fell down for me. It is a little bit in the writing, yeah, and a little bit in the sort of I don't know this part of it, but but still, yeah. Like I don't want anyone to not see this film because there's like I've got slight detractions to it. Yeah, it's it's too good of a film to miss. Like we say, you know, the the fact that this is an original piece. Yes is so good and the fact that it is so much more original than so many other films nowadays yeah we really sort of owe it to yourselves almost to sort of go and see it to sort of see something that isn't a sequel prequel call remake or reboot and Absolutely, for anybody yeah. that sort of missed cinema throughout lockdown Make yeah, sure you absolutely. Um, like, yes, I've been. I was asked about it um, at work today. My only, um, my only uh, reservation that I said because my, my boss asked me whether he should go see. It. I said, mm. "Yeah, but you, you're a you're a father of two young, two sort of teenage uni, university age girls, aren't you?" You went, "Yeah, I am." I went, mm, "Might freak you out a little bit." <laughs> yeah, just, just if you're worried about them, you will like you walk out the cinema and you will call them immediately. Like that's that's what will happen because <laughs> um, you'll be worried about them. Um, but like other than that, I think yeah, it's brilliant because he asked me like, "What should I go and see?" I was like, "If I had to pick one, I'd pick that." Um, but bet, but it comes with a warning. Yeah. Um, but anyway, should we talk in spoilers then? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So 
So spoilers, 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 right? So you have thoughts and worries and stuff that you didn't like in the act act three. So talk me through it. So obviously, we get to so the, the as the film goes on, it becomes more and more clear. I think, firstly, the fact that they don't really establish that she has this sort of psychic connection at the start, and it's a question about whether it's a mental health. And then she ends up in the flat. She starts seeing things, you know, right. Is it the flat? Yeah. And like this, there's a lot of it that's left unanswered, which is fine because so many films, so many more films should be doing that, you know, like, um, or it's sinister, for example, it's one of the best horror films I've seen in years and years and years and years. But one thing that they did do was they showed the, the, the antagonist. Yeah. And then it just completely detracts from it. So I get that. But I think they needed to be a little bit more clear. Yeah, I just know a it tiny, is. tiny bit, a yeah. tiny bit more clear with that, with that whole thing, because you do start to sort of question things and go, okay, is this what you know? Are we dealing with like a shine here, or are we dealing with like a mental health psychosis thing? Yeah, it's a real, that it's always a real kind fine of, line, isn't it? Gets my when... back up anyway. Yeah, because I don't like when people like. Again, this is me sort of bringing my own baggage in. I, I really don't like it when like mental health is like weaponized for like a storyline because it's fucking easy. Yeah. And like, oh yeah, just make them fucking mental. And then uh yeah, everyone will believe them and they'll be like, No, you're crazy. And you know, it's not like this isn't gaslight, you know, this is last night in Soho. And I was really, really worried that they were gonna do that, and he didn't. No. But it was yeah, it's really stylish and super fucking cool, but it, they got to a point and I'm like, okay, okay. And then you get to the end and it all ends up in this big giant crescendo and it just immediately go, like slams into like cliche and they're like, oh, it was her all along and I've poisoned you and I've got to do the murders and I've got to this. And it all suddenly sort of goes from this really sort of like thinky, cerebral into Midsummer Murders slash Friday Night Cheap Horror. Yeah, I know what you mean. That's, um, what, that's what got to me was that the, what... it was the, 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 the crescendo, what felt like this should have been this like grand reveal and this giant crescendo became this sort of squeak yeah and they could have delivered so much more yeah i know what you mean i um you know if, if if it were a male character he would have been twisting his mustache and laughing while smoking a pipe and it was like and you fell for my plan the whole time yeah i think that there, there's one element of it where they brought it back a little bit for me so i, I we're we're talking in circles so basically what happens at the end is it's revealed that the little the old lady that she's been living in this bedsit with, um, played by Dame um, Diana Rigg, was Rake. was in fact um, Sandy An- Anya Taylor Joy's character, Sandy, in the sixties. And the story that we've seen play out throughout is that she starts Sandy starts off wanting to be a singer and wanting to sort of be the next Cilla Black, and we see Cilla Black at one point um, <laughs> in quite a cool little cameo. Um, obviously it's like a CGI um, representation of her um, and it starts off fairly innocently and she's all like confident and cool and you know coming into the um, coming into the club and talking up Matt Smith 
Um, and then as it progresses, she basically gets sold into prostitution. She becomes, yeah, a, a prostitute in the 60s. Um, and you, you have these horrible montages where she gives her name as different people. And then you get this, this scene where uh, Thomas and Mackenzie's character, uh, Eleanor, Eleanor? Ellie. Ellie. Uh, believes that she's seen a vision of her being killed by Matt Smith, um, and yeah. then proceeds to then go because she really, you know, she frames her in her mind as the victim, and then go proceeds to start, you know, try and figure out like solve this murder from sixty years ago. As it then turns out, the twist, if you like, is that in actual fact, San, she killed Matt Smith's character. She killed Jack, um, and then continued on this sort of this righteous revenge killing spree of all, all the Johns, all the um, her clients, if you like, the guys who would use her as a prostitute and killed them all um, and would kill them and then like stuff their bodies into the, um, into the house. And that's part of what's haunting the house is like these, these dead bodies. Yeah. And, and that's they, why she hasn't sold it. And yeah, all this stuff. So I do know what you mean. It kind of twists it. <sighs> It, I thought I liked the twist. Um, what I didn't like, and where they started going down the, that route a little bit and they pulled it back, but not enough for me, was where they were like, they had all the, the ghosts who've been haunting um, Eleanor all the way through the movie, yeah. sort of saying, help us, and asking her to like write their, yeah, they become the victims. I'm like, no, 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 no. fuck that. Like, you've spent the whole movie showing how horrible, like, dirty and horrible these blokes are. And like this, the whole thing where they like show the oh that's a lovely name and they all say the same thing and they're just these yeah. nasty art they're assholes and then to, to then try and recontextualize them as victims towards the back end I'm like mm, no don't like that don't like that at all and they kind of walk it back a little bit when they have the confrontation with um, with Diana Rigg and she said you know when they're in the you know at the very in the room and like, everything's on fire and she says but they deserved it and then it goes i know they did and so they they kind yeah. of go okay it's not as black and white as good guys and bad guys and we we accept that and it's like yeah but i feel like they should have had that out a bit more but because it's all done in this big sort of crescendo it doesn't really and that's yeah again that's like another part of what i'm sort of not rallying against, but one of the things that sort of frustrated me because it's like she's so she's obviously, you know, what's happened to her, whether she's being forced into this work is is awful. And then but it's 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 following that line and it's like, oh so it's so are all sex workers evil or, or is or, or all sex workers bad because they do some like some people do it voluntarily and some people are you know very happy to do this so that, does that make anybody that visits a sex worker or anything along those lines like a bad person that deserves to be murdered and buried in the wall sort of thing and then it i don't know it sort of raises a lot of questions that does it doesn't follow up yeah, it's, and it it's, just goes. Yeah. Well, yeah, everyone's bad except for this one guy, and he's really nice. But he, uh, but yeah, and then it's sort of, he's got no sort of real depth of character other than that he keeps sort of like following her around. 
Yeah, this is um, Terence Stamp's character, by the way, we were talking about. So again, that's the other assumption that she makes is that Terence Stamp is uh, Matt Smith's character later. Um, and yeah. So she, she makes that assumption. She goes along those lines, tries to get a confession out of him. And it turns out that that's not who she thought. So I think there's there's an element of that. Like, and I was sort of alluding to it earlier. The idea that you know you think you think you you've got your handle on the world and how it all works, and then when you like come up against the reality yeah. of it, it's not what you thought. Um, and I like that in terms of the switching of the roles. I mean, she assumed that this creepy old man was the bad guy, and why wouldn't she? Because he's a creepy bastard. <laughs> yeah. It's like he's just being creepy, and that's kind of like. Um, yeah and like but then and again like I, I feel like they could they should have done more like it made me uncomfortable but i feel like they should have done more with it in that there's that scene like the first thing she, she does when she gets to london is getting a taxi yeah and the taxi driver is a piece of shit and that's again like it's this immediate cartoon sort of little bit but then I don't, that doesn't feel too cartoony to me though that i believe and that's yeah like I believe it, but yeah. it's it jumps out so quickly. Yeah, it's just, it just it's that the fact that it happens to be the first person. But again, it's one of those. And I feel he, like he's so gross. Again, it feels it's like the it's the bully Jocasta character again. Yeah. But it's yeah. like, he, you know, he may as well be rubbing his thighs and going. Bleh. Yeah, I know, I know. You know, but again, it would have been. I think it would have been good if they'd shown again, like the the expectation versus reality sort of thing. So it's like, that's how in her head, that's how like disgusting he was because yeah. she's that scared about going to the big city. In reality, he was fairly innocent and she's just, she's projected all her fears about predatory yeah. men onto it. Um, but then, but then, but then yeah. you know, how do you address, you know, in a post me too world, where do we, exactly. where do we exactly. come to and it, sort and it's of with got conclusion? A, I think they've got to come to that point as well, because the, the, you know, the point they make as well in terms of, what the 60s what we perceive the 60s as being like in terms of what they actually were is demonstrated really well but i think if they were then to gloss over and say oh yeah but now we're enlightened and all, all men are great would be yeah. disingenuous and you can't do that i think they do do a great job of that with the the love interest character he's a genuine good bloke and they maintain that all the way throughout and thank fuck for that because otherwise it's there'd be no hope for anybody um but yeah, I just feel like they, I think the, the best demonstration they did with it, I think Matt, the way they played Matt Smith's character was brilliant and he does a great job. Now we can talk about how he turns. He's fucking brilliant in this, isn't he? Oh yeah, he's the fucking devil. Because he just, I, what, what I like though, yeah, he is the devil, but like they do a great job of like setting in that first, and I think it's the first flash back to the 60s is probably the, the longest by far. Yeah. And they have this, like he is like, the epitome of what you would want a, a 60s gent like he's done up like he's all suited up in like the 60s uh james bond style suit he's smoking looking cool he's you know runs the club he's charming he's not like pushy or like or overly like um predatory in but any he way doesn't run, even to the, the point where yes. he even to the point where in that first montage a bloke does get like that and calls her a slut or calls her a whore. And calls he, her a whore. Yeah, and he knocks him out because again, that's the idea of a gentleman standing up for a lady's honor, and that's your idea of what a you know a gentleman in the in the of that era would do. However, yeah. then you get to the next stage of it and you go, oh no, he's exploiting her. He's a piece of shit. 
he like says, no, look, you have to um, make men like this happy. Otherwise you're never going to get anywhere. And then it gets worse. And then he starts getting violent with her. Then he starts getting, and it's just this slow deterioration of your image of what a, of what a sixties gentleman was like as what they actually were like, which is, yeah, they did treat women like pieces of shit and they did treat women. Like, and that's what it was like. You know, you look back at, again, I keep coming back to bond. Yeah. But like you look at, you know, the Sean Connery in um, whatever, Goldfinger or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah, no, what, how cool. It's so cool. It's so sophisticated. And then that bit, smacking this woman around. And then, and then, yeah. And then there's that bit in um, Goldfinger where he just slaps her on the ass and says, man talk as the woman walks away. It's like, yeah, that's what they were really like. like that's what like, yeah. 60s guys were really like that. But like you think of them as just being cool as shit. And like, I'm not saying that, you know, it's hard to generalize because it obviously was a time 30 years before I was born. But like, um yeah no i know what you mean man like that that's what i mean there's like there's a lot of it in there that you sort of you can see that again like one of the one of the things that sort of felt like a loose end was the the sleazy creepy guy who um matt smith character decks in the nightclub when he calls her a whore is is played by the taxi driver oh shit i didn't notice that yeah oh, and you're like, yeah yeah well, maybe that's it then. Maybe, again, she, she's projecting that. Uh, okay, I don't know what that was all about. doesn't make any sense then, does it? Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, so that's, so she's bringing that with her. Yeah. But then... Maybe that's know, it. Like, maybe that maybe that first time was her fantasy and then it becomes real. Um, then it becomes, she's having flashbacks of stuff that really happened. Um, yeah. But, but again, then it's, it's not, it's then not you explained, sort of, is it? It's not explained. No. And then you go, right, so this is, and that's like, I can, you know, there's a, uh, suspension of disbelief that we can all sort of get on board with with a lot of things. I mean, we all watch superhero films and you know science fiction and other horror films, so we can get on board and be like, right, that's that's her bringing that in. But then, yeah, I don't know. Like, it doesn't establish. There's 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 so there's like a couple of like messy bits in there that stop it from being great. Yeah, yeah. And that's like part of it is it there's like is how much of this is in her head, how much of this isn't. Um, you know, if if we are in her head, then there's this sort of the climactic scene on the staircase that's this sort of mirrored staircase of you know, like on like on a like on a stage. Yeah. And Dame Diane has taken her sort of twisty mustache turn and is coming after her with the scissors but is she flashing through that is and and it's i don't know like there's so much of it that sort of feels really disconnected yeah for something that sort of starts to try and explain quite a lot but then doesn't follow up and then you get to the end and you're kind of left wanting a little bit and like i'd have really liked to have seen no i'm not again like we've sort of spoken about it on here a lot i'm not one of those people that needs like a tidy ending mm. i'm quite happy to leave sort of mystique at the doorway but when you get to like this did she die in the house or is or is or did the police find all the bodies and you know was that a thing was it that she was yeah, like see, right I've, I've now I'm, got my rest i've, I'm, I've mm, i can i've got some like let's talk about the the very the ending yeah, because they do kind of, they flash forward. Basically, they have this the big sort of um, you know confrontation 
is in that in the house everything gets set on fire and it's like it, it's really like the symbolic because the thing that sets the fire off is she knocks the cigarette into the vinyl um collection and the, yeah. it's the vinyl that goes up because this, this is the thing that yeah that's her nostalgia has all been around this you know the vinyl records and that's what then burns everything down um yeah. which is a great little metaphor um but then yeah it, you have this and she has that moment where she says they all deserved it and she goes i know i can't remember exactly what she says now but it, yeah and they had that that moment together and then she gets out of there yeah and then it flashes forward to you know two months later or whatever it is and it's um and uh, doing a um doing a fashion show you know first year student uh, and this is a you know swinging 60s brilliant and like her nan's there and the boyfriend is there and they're clapping and yeah everything's great and i've got I, that felt disingenuous to me because yeah. it feels like because the other thing that happens that they never come back to never address is the moment where she's freaking out in the library and almost stabs jacinda in the eye with a pair of scissors yeah jacasta jacasta sorry yeah that there's no consequences for that and like yeah. on multiple occasions she runs out screaming out of her um classroom you know surrounded <laughs> by people and like yeah. a complete nutcase and again there doesn't seem to be any so i thought like there was a moment when she came in and like, oh there's some post for you and i thought one of them would be you getting kicked out of college because you clearly got some serious mental health issues you fucking tried to kill someone and you tried to kill someone they're they're pressing charges which is exactly what that person would do yeah. but there's none of that so I get a feeling that, and again, this is like the very, very final shot of the movie. You see, you get, you see, um, Sandy back in the mirror again, and it's like, yeah. is this kind of like this whole situation we've ended up with at the end? Is this in her head again? Is she trying to reconcile? Like, I feel like it, it wouldn't have surprised me if that, and it's very much cliche. But if they then cut to her like in a mental asylum with a you know in a straitjacket, like, yeah, it would have made sense. Um, much as it's very much a cliche, and it's it, like yeah, it's very understand. rogue. But you know, then a lot of ghost story things are like yeah. you, you wouldn't you wouldn't be, you know, no one's gonna shout at you for saying that because that's what you would expect from a lot of these sort of endings. Yeah. Um. So that yeah, it doesn't quite like. But on the other hand, though, I really do like the way the ending comes together because it's like what we were talking about earlier, where it's like, you know, going to university, and, you know, becoming a young adult for the first time, and trying to reconcile who you were at home. And who your family are and all that with who you want to be for the rest of your life and becoming that confident new version of yourself. Yeah. And there has to be a combination of those two things. And I feel like that's like the conclusion she comes to because her nan's there to represent like her old life and her family and all the values from, you know, that she's grown up with in terms of, you know, living in Cornwall. And then there's the new boyfriend who is like someone she's only met because she's at university and he's like, and, but, and also she's now her best self. Look how confident she is, how happy she is. Look at, she's like how great all her work is and everyone's praising her. It's like, right, this is it. This is when you, when you come out the other side of that university experience, you are the best version of yourself. That's going to be you for the rest of your life. And that's a nice uplifting yeah. sort of message at the end of it. But then you go, but is it all real? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and is it all real? Because you can have those sort of questions in there, but then you're like, well, we don't have that question in there because she's just got this spiritual touch, which means that she can see the ghosts anyway. And is that all neatly wrapped up? Like, what what's going on there? Just her her story of becoming confident. Like, she's still clearly got this fascination with the 60s just because she's had a sort of, you know, a hard lesson learned and she's 
solved the crime and pulled the mask off the 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 creepy you know the creepy landlady oh it was you all along shaking her fist like what's what's the resolution to all of this yeah that she's confident now that she she got to the bottom of the I think, puzzle. I think like, the resolution where, where does it all? I think the, re- the, resolution the resolution is like she's she's got still got she's in. I think she's got past her her obsession with you know nostalgia and the sixties. Mm. She's living in the moment. She's there in the room and look, look at what she, like it inspires yeah. her and it like you can see her. that the contemporized like the fashion's been contemporized yeah, exactly and the, exactly. even to the point where they make the point of having male models modeling it like well, non-binary they, models. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like I really I think it's a case of reconciling those two different things, the, the new and the old, and going that it's not you can't don't erase everything that like what became what came before. And again, it's the that the symbolism of having a nan there is that you can't just forget everything that you were when you were there. Like when she tries to like again, she's had those conversations during the movie where her nan rings her. She goes, Mum, you know, Nan, I'm out. I don't, you know, whatever. And like, I'm, I'm out living my best life, leave me alone. As that you have those conversations with your parents when they're just concerned about you, yeah, and and you're trying to like fly the nest, and it's like no, that's not the right way to do it. You need to con- maintain those relationships because those are the people who got you to where you are in the first place. But yeah. be your own person, and she's that's I feel like the reckon what she's come to because she's gone through this traumatic experience in the '60s where it's like right, it wasn't what you thought. It's not healthy to be this obsessed with something that's happened before, but. That doesn't mean you can't take inspiration from it. And she's reconciled mm. all that and come to this conclusion. And it just, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Just, I don't know. I don't like know. the end felt a bit. <clears throat> yeah. Like, I fucking love him. I think he's just one of the most incredible directors of our generation. Yeah. And again, to me, like, I just, love. It just felt a little bit sloppy. Like, yeah. it felt a little bit like. He could have just done more with an extra scene or two. It could have been, you know, she could have gone to visit Sandy. Like it was Sandy survived or, you know, there's a scene where she's like, you know what, Sandy, like, yeah, you did do this and you've got to face the consequences like what you did. Yeah, they did deserve it. But, you know, you're not above the law. Yeah. You know, you're not above like you killed people like, you, you know, when she's going through in the library she's looking through all the microfiche and you realize that you know these people it's like teacher goes missing in camden you realize that this is like and they're but they're all men yeah and you're like right well this is and then you go oh that's her list of victims and it's like oh parent like father of two gone missing and you know this these these people all still had families so she is you know she is a serial killer and yes whilst you know the treatment that they did to buy this girl who was to you know to make you think twice about like sex work because um you know a lot of women that are in sex work in the uk are trafficked that people don't realize and sort of especially in amsterdam as well when you you know when you i read a uh i read a story about a young lady who was sort of told that she they were just going to be going via amsterdam and that she was trafficked there and overnight they would keep attack dogs in the hallway so the girls couldn't leave their rooms you know and you think here are these horrible stories about the real sort of the dark side of the sex trade and you go right well yeah i get that and these people are deserve to be punished and the way that they treat her yeah they did deserve it but 
I don't know. Like there, there, it's, it felt like it started to make a message, but never finished it. Yeah, I know what you mean. And that's kind of where I was a bit like, oh, just just a little bit more. Just wanted a little bit more, and it would have been amazing. Yeah. And it is a really, really good film. But just slightly let me down a bit because it just it it didn't stick the landing. Yeah. And I think when you look at something like you know, how we tied up, uh, you know, like suffusing your expectations when you get to like the end of Scott Pilgrim and Nega Scott turns up. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit. And he's like, well, actually, it's, that's he's, someone. That's, he's pretty chill that's, dude. He's, pretty, he's a really nice guy. You know, yeah, we're, we're going to hang out sometimes. We're going to get brunch. Yeah. And you realise that seeing Nega Scott and him fighting him would have been counterproductive to the entire lesson that Scott learned throughout that film. Yeah. But in this, it didn't happen because in this, she solved the crime. She pulled the mask off the creepy theme park owner. It was like, I would have gotten away with it if it was a few pesky kids. And then that was it. But then you didn't even find out what happened there. She just found the power of self-belief and didn't get to walk through the cool door with Ramona. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like I say, it could have done with maybe one more scene to wrap it up. Um, yeah, but yeah, this um, it's still an amazing work. Like yeah. for for what it is, it's still brilliant. And Scott uh, Scott Pilgrim, Edgar Wright is still extraordinarily talented and is definitively one of the voices of our generation. Yeah, and I just I love just again when you you're talking about you know comparing it to Scott Pilgrim, like the idea that the same man directed these two things is just amazing to me. I love it. I love yeah. that even though he does have his style and there are certain things that you pick up that he does. The fact that he's able to switch genres like this and and do it so effectively is great, and it just it sort of speaks to the fact that he's going to be around for a long time, um, yeah. and it, there's almost nothing he can't turn his hand to. And I really like so like yeah, I've been listening to some of his um, interviews and things like his uh, movies to be buried with, which I would recommend for anybody who's who's ever listened mm-hmm. to our podcast certainly. Um, and he just talks about he chooses movies where it goes like I don't want it to be made like if this film could, wouldn't be made without, unless it was me doing it, then yeah. why, why should I do it? And that's how he ended up with Ant-Man. It was like, Ant-Man was like, because he was attached to that, the, the Marvel movie Ant-Man for a long time. Yeah. And it became very clear to him that regardless of whether I do it or not, this movie is going to get made. It's a machine and they will do it. It was like, I, do, I need to be the one to make this movie. No, I probably shouldn't make it then. Yeah. I like that they, now that he's got to that stage of his career where he's that you know, successful, particularly off the back of things like Baby Driver did very well. Um, and they, you know, they can advertise things like this. They go from the director of Baby Driver. Yeah. That he can now, you know, whatever he does next is going to be something unique to him and to, you know, to his experience um, and what he wants to do. So, yeah, I can't wait to see what he does next. Um, I'm, and this definitely, I'm, I'm totally sold. I agree. Still, like even even you know, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed by this, but I still will go and see anything else that he makes. Yeah, because he's fucking visionary, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. That was a, a fairly lively debate about the last night in Soho. Um, <laughs> so I think we could, we're happy to wrap it up there. Unless there's anything else you want to tag on. Uh. Um, yeah, 
like I say, slightly different opinion, but both of us, I think, are definitely saying go and see it if you're if you're listening to this yeah. and you're a fan. Hopefully, you've already seen it if you're listening past this spoiler point. Um, but definitely go out and watch this if you can. It, you know, support fre- original, fresh cinema. Um, that we need more of that and less remakes and stuff. Um, not to say that remakes aren't without their merits. Obviously, I mean, Dune is like one of your favorite movies of all time, and that's a remake. Um, yep. But still, um, yeah, definitely go and go and seek this out if you can. Um, so next up, yeah, like I say, we've seen Eternals. Um, we've got some thoughts on it. Um, we just had a bit of a backlog, so we're working our way back through it. So we will be getting <laughs> an episode out on Eternals. And then following that, we are going to do a bit of um, grand rewatching. We're going to get into some more yes. 80s nostalgia uh, and talk about Ghostbusters um, and the the failed attempt, the first failed attempt at rebooting Ghostbusters before they re reboot it again um, with Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is coming out in about two weeks' time. Um, multi, so multi boot, multi boot, re reboot. Um, yeah, so that will be interesting. Um, so yeah, stick around. Um, we've got yeah, like I say, we will get into Eternals on the next one. Um, and thank you for listening to this one. Yeah, thanks for listening and see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Don't sell your fucking steelbook collection. What are you doing, <laughs> you madman? Well, I don't know. If they're going to be on IMAX, it's going to be fucking wicked. Right. Like, yeah, you don't, don't buy know. them because you, you buy the discs because they're in the steel books, right? Yeah, but I also played the discs. I yeah. don't like I do actually like but put that's them in the, and I think them. that's a self-justifying byproduct, isn't it? Uh at yeah, least you can keep them sealed in their packaging and all the cardboard sleeves. No, I don't I don't keep them sealed, do I? I, I that's the thing. I don't if I <laughs> if I was doing that, then I would keep them sealed in the shrink wrap, but I don't do that. I take yeah. them out. Like literally today I got home and the fucking the, the suicide squad ones turned up. Okay. <clears throat> and the first thing I did was put it in the um the Blu-ray player. Yeah. So it's so like it's, it's in, I wonder what aspect ratio. Oh, cool. It looks like we got the IMAX cut. Nice. Nice. Um, and it looks fucking wicked. Um, but like, yeah, is that it, coming I, to streaming in the UK? Fuck those. That's the problem with it. Like, so things like that, and like Bond and things like that, that they're definitely worth it. But I just feel it's the Disney ones that I feel like I'm struggling to justify, especially when they're like day and date. So literally, like Shang Chi will turn up as a steelbook on Monday, but yeah. by, on Friday I'll be able to put it on in the IMAX format on my on my TV through the subscription that I've already paid for. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That just seems stupid to me. Like the other ones, the ones where it's like, so if there was, if we had HBO Max and we had all that one, so like June is another one. If if HBO go to do the same thing over here and we can watch June in the IMAX format as part of your HBO subscription, well, fuck it. I'm not getting the steel, but then why? <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even, even fucking extras now they've started doing, like, you know, fucking Black Widow. There's an hour-long documentary on the making of. And then there's, really? like, and yeah, well, we had it on when you were around here, remember? Oh, I just thought that was that, like, behind the magic what, thing. No, it is, yeah. But that's, that's what I mean. They, they do series where each movie gets one of them. And yeah. each series gets one of them. And then on top of that, you go, when you go and watch it and you go extras, there's all the deleted scenes. There's all the, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, you go back to, like, the, you know, the... The original Iron Man, 
there's like a feature length documentary on the making of it, isn't it? Yeah, that's on Disney Plus. Is it? Yeah, you go to you go that go to documentaries. Iron- fucking sick. Yeah, go to Iron Man and then go extras, mm. and it's there. They're all there. So it's literally they are they are going out of their way to make my steelbook collection fucking redundant. <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> the thing is, like, at what level are you gonna? Where do you get to when you sell all of it? That's the thing. That's the because other thing. Like, what is point that... do you get where you're where you're selling it? And because what value does that hold to you? Does it hold value purely financially, or does it hold value in any other? Like, because I know like loads of my comics, like none of them hold. Like some of them hold specific value to me. Look, I'm not going to tell you these R two D two coins are, are valuable, or even though they hold their existing value, they're valuable to you. And that's what matters. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, I know. Speaking of somebody that's collected something that's not valuable or not worth the money that I've spent on it, I know, it's I know. just either the pursuit or the byproduct of finally having it. I know. I know. I think the other the other one that's going to fuck me up next year as well is Bond. I can feel it. Yeah. Well, because I've got the steel books of the Daniel Craig collection, right? But next year, No Time to Die will be out and there's a steel book for it. But you know they're going to do some sort of like box set. You know, like the, the uh, Lord of the Rings box set I've got? Yeah. Where it's like a, a steel box set with all of them in it. It'll be that. Or the other thing they'll do, because they're bastards, is that next year is the um, 60th anniversary of Bond. Oh, and they'll shit. they'll do a 60th anniversary box set. I've got the 50th anniversary box set, but the 60th one will have everything up to and including No Time to Die, which will be the is definitively the cap on Dan, the Daniel Craig era. Yeah, you son of a bit. They will, and it will be like it will look amazing, and it will be like 200 quid, and they'll all be in 4K, and it will. Uh, oh God, I can feel it. I'm, I should start saving for it now. <laughs> Because yeah. I'm a fucking sucker for that shit, man. 